What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hernishan, joined as always by my co-host and my fellow writer over at BlueChipScouting.com, Devin Jackson. Devin, how are you doing today, man? Not bad, man. Not bad at all. Uh, beautiful morning in Pennsylvania. Cold as hell in Toronto, man. It was it was actually kind of nice yesterday, and like I was leaving my buddy's house at around like ten thirty. And by the time I got home and it's a 15-minute drive, I had left. It was, like, minus 3 Celsius. So, like, you know, somewhere in the 20s. I got home and it had dropped to minus 11 in a 15-minute drive. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I got to deal with here. It's not it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Yeah, good old winter, man. Oh. Like I want to say it was like Thursday or Friday here. It was absolutely horrible. I'm on. I think it was Thursday, but it didn't get above like 18 degrees, and it was windy all day. It was a, it was just a miserable day. So hopefully, we, Friday. I mean, Friday I was downtown for an exam, and I hopped out of the car, and it was minus 20. Yeah. No. And I got a notification from my prof like midway through the day on on this on the course website. It's an urgent must read. I'm like, if you cancel this due to being cold, I'm gonna like I'm gonna rise up with the class and we gonna smack some sense into you. And I was like, oh no, after after reading week, uh, you know, our classroom has changed. The exam is still on today. I'm like, why would you send that today? Just wait till next week. Just wait till <laughs> everyone's off. Because, you know, we don't have an exam to worry about that day. Like, bro, you actually have me really worried you're going to cancel the exam due to you being cold. Uh, then I wrote that exam and I was just like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk about that. Um, you know, today we are going to tier the quarterbacks. But before that, we're going to break down some of the news that happened in the week. Um, so last week, Devin, we talked about the Michigan State opening. And we had no idea where they were going to go. Was it going to be Luke Fickle? He said no. Was it going to be this guy? They said no. And, you know, Michigan State got kind of desperate. And a guy that turned them down, they just came back with a bigger check. And he said yes. And that was Mel Tucker from uh, Colorado. Now, I have no problem with the move. I think they could have gotten someone better probably. Because, I mean, well, Mel Tucker went 5-7 and seven at Colorado. It's not exactly a great hire when you think about it when you're Michigan State and you have to go to a guy that had a losing record but Mel just you gotta stay off Twitter man you just you gotta stay off Twitter he tweeted out that he was as flattered as he was by the interest from Michigan State he had unfinished business at Colorado and two days later he's signing for for Michigan State (laughs) yeah very hypocritical um, that's just the nature of college football these days. We've seen so many coaches over the last couple of years swear up and down they're not leaving, that they're committed to their program, and then sure enough, a week or two later, they're gone for the exact job they say they wouldn't take. You know, like so. Just- so it's just like, just don't say anything in the first place. Just say you're evaluating your options or whatever. Say something professional because I mean. I feel like this is like the only profession where people are like, oh, yeah, I'm not leaving. And then they still leave. You know what I'm saying? Well, not the only profession, but they you can't. It's, it look, it's a bad look when you pretend that you're not going to leave somewhere and you still end up leaving. You know what I'm saying? Like, just mm-hmm. 
just say that you have interest somewhere or just be upfront about it because people don't like shady people you know what i mean so definitely man like i, I think um like connor rogers from bleach report mentioned like just go the the matt rule route where you talk to them as like a in a team meeting and explain why without actually going on social media first and like that's why the players at at baylor weren't pissed at at Matt Rule, they were happy for him because he got, like, this big opportunity. Mel Tucker was like, nah, no way. It's a... Oh, sorry. They handed me a bigger check. Bye. Like, I get it. I, like, really do get it that, like, it... If, if they... I mean, I'd do the same if someone handed me a bigger check. But... I wouldn't have tweeted out that, like, as, thank you for your interest, but I have unfinished business. By unfinished business, I mean I was waiting for them to just offer me more money, essentially. Like, it just, it was not a good look. It was not a good look. Hopefully, Colorado is able to find a new coach quick, because right now, I mean, damn, man, we're midway through February. This is, like, the latest I think I've ever seen the coaching carousel in college football go. Well, I mean, it's pretty. It was unprecedented with uh, Mark D'Antonio's move to just step down, you know, yeah. at that at that time because like it's right after recruiting season. Oh, by the way, Mel Tucker has said that none of the the assistants are returning. I think. <laughs> oh wow, he's cleaning the house. Yeah, he is. They're they're bringing a whole new staff in. They're just. Every everybody that was there before can can go, um, but yeah, I'm just looking up now. Uh, see who some of the Colorado head coaching candidates are, and we can kind of go one by one and figure out whether they're like legit, <laughs> whether we'd actually sign off on them. So just give me a second. You can always cut this <laughs> for sure. Uh. Trying to find one that's not in French or on the athletic because I don't pay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator from Kansas City. I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it for one reason. He's already left the, the University of Colorado twice. He was a running backs coach uh, and I want to say like an offensive coordinator. And he left both times to go to the NFL. So, I don't see him lo- leaving the NFL to go to Colorado, which is not exactly a head coaching hot, you know, hotbed to go back to the NFL. This is a guy that should already be a head coach in the NFL. I get it's his alma mater, but I think he'd stiff them. Like, I just, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't make sense considering he's in position to get now, especially next year when the coaching carousel in the NFL begins again, he should be in line to get a head coaching job at, in the NFL, I mean, his body of work says it all. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people try to discredit him because it's like, oh, Andy Reid is calling the plays, but he still is, he still is making the game. He was play calling you know? in, the, in the Super Bowl. He was play calling in the Super Bowl. Just saying. Um, Troy Calhoun, head coach from Air Force. Um, what was what was his record there? He he just came off an 11 and two season. And Air Force is, I think, uh, hang on, I can go- I can Google what his uh, Air Force record is. 
He is. Let's see. He's 98 and 69. Nice. Uh, all time. And it's all at Air Force. He's been there for uh, 12 years now. I mean, it's a possibility, but I don't see Colorado coming out and run the option. I mean, they could. I don't they, think they will. I think they could too, but I don't I don't know if that's a good fit considering he's been running the option what the last twelve years and I yeah, don't Yeah, because it's Air Force, so like they don't yeah. they don't get I mean it wouldn't get. it wouldn't be a super far trek, he's still being state, but still. And that's hit that's his alma mater too. He 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 was an Air Force guy in in college, so yeah, I, probably, I probably not leaving that gig. They're probably paying him a lot. I think he's making quite a bit. I mean, he's like one of the, he's one of the the um, uh, higher paid uh, group of five coaches. Yeah, it's one of the more it's a pretty respected program. I mean, they you know have the bunch of like the you know dub them as the option teams. They they're always one of the better ones between Navy, Army, Air Force. You know, they're always one of the better ones out of the bunch, for sure. All right, let's see who's next. Well, this is a guy I've been pounding the table for for a while. Uh, this uh, Brian Harson from Boise State. I can see it. I, I think that that's a very good possibility, but I also think it depends on how much they're willing to pay him. And, you know, does he find Colorado attractive and what they have going? I mean, they – I think they signed a pretty decent recruiting class under Mel Tucker before he jetted out the door. So it should be interesting. And he can pull some of those West Coast guys that he's already recruiting from Boise. Yep. And, and well, here's what makes this interesting. So this is a list I found on, on, on CBS Sports. So they've had Bienemy, who is a, a Colorado grad. They've had Troy Calhoun, who's coaching at his alma mater, and Brian Harson, who's coaching at his alma mater. Uh, it's gonna be really hard to pull a guy from his alma mater. You're gonna depend real well, man. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. The one I'm, thing, so like, Harson came up with Arkansas and Missouri this year, and I think one of the reasons he he ultimately he pulled out of of both of those, I believe, was because he didn't really want to move all the way across country. Now, from Boise to Boulder, Colorado, is not that far. Yeah, I mean, it, you got to think location, you know, opportunity. No, is it going to benefit you, you know, going forward, stuff like that. So I'm sure he's in a process of evaluating that now. And well, if they if they've contacted him already or not, but I have no idea who they've actually contacted. But this is just lists I'm seeing of like who, some of the guys that are, are being linked. Oh, wow. uh, Graham I Harrell. <laughs> the offensive coordinator from USC. Uh, uh, one more thing about Harson. Oh, go, go, uh, go for it. I decided to do a little map search, and turns out it's a 13-hour drive from Boise. Yeah, to I just I, I looked at that too. Yeah, I was I like, I, I was like, ooh, <laughs> oops. But, Damn, uh, West Coast. You said Graham Harrell. Yeah. Where is he coaching at right now? Uh, offensive coordinator USC. The former I can see Texas it. Tech quarterback. I can see it. Uh, and he's young. He's only 34. It might need that, you know, in Colorado. Yeah. 
I can see it. Um, I mean, it's in conference. It's, it's kind of it's a little cheeky, but it is weak in a division rival, kind of like that Sam Pittman hire from yeah. earlier in the year. Uh, Butch Jones, the former Tennessee head coach. No, no. absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. We're not going to have him. Uh, you know, kind of run a program into the ground. No, nah, he's already done that enough times. Jim Levitt. Uh, now, this is one I'm interested in. All right, so do you remember a couple years ago when Colorado was randomly in the Pac-12 championship and was, like, ranked in the top 10? Yes. Yes. Who do you think, well, the defense quarter in that, uh, uh, on that team was Jim Levitt. Hmm. That same unit that put out Chidobia Wuzier, Kella Witherspoon, Tedrick Thompson. I think there was one other guy in their secondary that went pro as well. Like, they had a really randomly stacked secondary that year. Yeah, that was Jim Levitt. I could see that. He went on to, to uh, Oregon, I think. And then, I mean, he, he was brought up in the Colorado State coaching search, so he might be wanting to come back. I think that so far, this is probably the one that makes the most sense. Got ties there, you know, brought them some success. So why not, you know, go back to that? I mean, it'd be a pretty safe pick, although I would like to see Colorado go after an offensive-minded coach because especially right after mel tucker yeah i mean it makes sense you know mel tucker hiring from michigan state makes sense since they're pounding the table for defense and have been for several years but like now i think it's time to get like an offensive minded coach so maybe graham harrell you know pluck may maybe do maybe able to do it we'll we'll see though there's three more that i think we can lump in together because they're absolutely no Derek Mason, the head coach of Vanderbilt. Nah. Jim McElwain. Absolutely not. Steve Sarkeesian. Wait, Jim McElwain, doesn't he coach Colorado State? No, he was fired. Remember, he was he was Colorado State, and uh, then he went to Florida, got fired from Florida, and is at Central Michigan. Hmm. Oh, uh, maybe. McElwain might. Oh, I don't want Jim McElwain. He can go, like, hump a shark somewhere else, man. Like, Yeah, but they go after him. I I don't see him not uh, well, turning it down, you know. Oh. I mean, Colorado is going to have more chances to, to play for something big compared to Central Michigan. Dude, I wouldn't want to do from Central Michigan. Like, I get it. So, he turned them around from a 1-11 program to 8-6 and six and won the, won the division. But, like, Central Michigan, man, like... Dude, just just go to go to Lafayette, Louisiana, and just go to Billy Napier for the Raging Cajuns, and just pop down a briefcase on his desk, <laughs> or go to Boise and do the exact same thing to Brian Harson. Like, this is weird. I, I can like- also just see them uh, promoting from within because it's gonna be so hard to pull a guy when you've already done like. National Signing Day is over with. Yeah. It's going to have an be- uprising. I honestly think that they could just promote from within and just like let the guy that they've got as the interim coach just be the permanent head coach. Yeah, that you're gonna would be smart. Because you're going to have a bitch of a time trying to find someone. Yeah, I feel like they're either going to promote within or just hire somebody that's absolutely not on their on anybody's radar and just some random coach. Yeah, like it's 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 weird, man. Like 
Damn, damn Michigan State. Freaking D'Antonio. Still, still haunting us, huh? Yeah, yeah, man. Absolutely. Of course. The Big Ten don't want to quit us. Now, one more thing before we take a little bit of a break here. You're an LSU fan, right? Yeah. And which I'm assuming means that you're a follower of Joe Burrow. Absolutely. So have you heard this stuff that Joe Burrow is going to potentially stiff the Bengals and, and, and go somewhere else? Because he wants to play for a contender? I've heard it, but it's it's really difficult to ask for a contender in the NFL. It's not like <laughs> it's not like other sports where you can kind of force that way. I mean, we saw Eli Manning do it, but I in this day and age, it's really difficult. You want to go such a haul to get him. Like whoever and, and there's like there's like not a team that's picking that low, or sorry, like picking that high in the draft, that I could realistically see pulling off a trade or to get Burrow and would be a contender. Like the Redskins? Well, I, I mean, they have their quarterback, but no. The Dolphins have a lot of cap room and a lot of picks, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to translate into a contender next year. The Giants have Daniel Jones, which means that they need a quarterback, but they won't know for another couple of years. The Lions, no. The Chargers, no. The Panthers, maybe, but they have Newton, and I still don't think they're going to trade Cam Newton. Cardinals have Kyler Murray. Jacksonville's a no. Cleveland, no. The Jets have Darnold. Oakland, maybe? Or not Oakland. Las Vegas? Sorry, the mock draft I did on the draft network still has them as Oakland, but the only one I can see that I actually would like him to go to is the Colts. They don't have a lot of picks though. I know. But like, I mean in in an ideal world, out all the teams picking like the top fifteen, that's the where I want only to go. one that I can think of where quarterback is remotely in need and they're like already a playoff team would be the Titans because of the the uncertainty around Tannehill. But that would mean trading up from 29 to 1. Nah, that's not happening. I think he's going to uh, – it could be just reports. You know, they said the same thing about Zion when, you know, he might not – he might go back to school, you know, he might, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, when you're the number one pick, it do, it really doesn't matter. It, you're the best player in a draft. I mean, well – you know, just uh, it just makes sense that he goes there. I mean, a lot of people are. It, it really starts turning into this kind of media talk and something to give people to talk about. You know, hypotheticals. People love talking about hypotheticals. I don't think he's gonna. Be, oh, for sure. I think I don't think he's one of those guys. that's like you know, I don't want to go here. So I'm gonna force my way to get what I want because. You know, you get off on a wrong foot, first of all. Second of all, you haven't done anything yet. You know what I'm saying? Like You you haven't made it yet. You haven't done anything yet in the league. So no one's going to respect you off bat. And then you do that, you know, people are going to be looking at you side-eyed, you know, sideways. You know, if things don't go well here, are you going to force your way out of that team? So just, you know, trying to put yourself on a contender, just because they're a contender right now, 
it's completely different to next year. And I feel mm-hmm. like NFL has like the most turnover every year of teams that should be playoff teams versus actual playoff teams. There's always those fringe teams that make the playoffs this year and next year, and they might not. You know what I'm saying? And there's, I mean, you got the consistent contenders. You got what? Patriots. Um, can't even think of consistent ones. Patriots, <laughs> Chiefs, uh, Seahawks, like those types of teams. Yeah. You know, there's really nobody in the top 15, top 20 that's really been super consistent over the last couple of years and that also need a quarterback. I mean, it's nah. I it's very far fetched in my opinion. I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, um, you know what? I think that we can chalk this up to a case of like it seems like every year there's always that one that one narrative just to try to keep you know um, draft season interesting during the down periods. Like you know, my first year covering was 2014, and the big thing was Teddy Bridgewater and his skinny knees, or you know, Connor Cook, no one came to his birthday party, or um, Josh Rosen, you know, not be- loving football and being more focused on being, like, a Wall Street exec after football. Like, there's one of these every year surrounding the quarterbacks. Every single... Johnny Manziel just being Johnny Manziel. Kyler Murray, was he going to play football? Like, every single year. There's one of these, and I think that this is this year's. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's just a. It's just one of those narratives where it just doesn't really make sense. So it's just like, just something to talk about, really. We exactly. I think, and this is just a way that the media is trying to keep the the, the lulls in between, like free agency, you know, the the combine of free agency or the end of the season in the combine. Just interesting so that they have stuff to talk about. So we're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to be, when we come back, we're going to rank the, uh, we're, we're going to tier the quarterback class for this year's uh, draft. Join me special guest today to do what we said we were going to do, which is tier the 2020 NFL draft at the quarterback position. He's known as a guru of the quarterback position. Um, you know, when you have two podcasts with your own name and you're kind of a big deal, it's Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, gentlemen. Great to be with you. And look, I mean, yes, I do have two podcasts in my own name, but it's somewhat egotistical. I know that. It's a bit, you know, I'm a bit full of myself at times, but those are just names. I mean, it's it's more the work that I try to do. I hope it's okay. I think people like it, but I'm glad to be here. Happy to talk QBs with you guys. Hey man, you picked the perfect podcast because we are the big shots. So you you there can you, you can let the ego go a little bit. <laughs> there you go. I, I am excited to be here, and it was it was you know it's always good to get a chance to talk about QBs. We got the combine up next week, and so it's a perfect time to do just that. Absolutely. All right. So I mean, Mark, we're at very different points of scouting uh, the draft as a whole. I'm in around like. 200 to 220 players. Devin, you're in around 100 at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, about 100. So I'm sitting looking at my big board. I've got 17. So we'll kind of like tier, I don't know, how I've got it. Because I don't know, uh, Devin, if you've got some of these guys, probably not. And then Mark probably has a QB big board of like 50 on his own. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. (laughs) 30. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's more like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. So, um, 
tier one, I think we all know that Joe Burrow is like the head guy in that tier, but is he alone in that tier according to you? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he's alone in tier one. I think he and Tua Tungavailoa are both in tier one. And, you know, there's obviously two separate questions for Tua. There's the on the field and then there's the off the field. And it's really the off the field, the medical, the hip. It's going to be the biggest factor because if you strip that away, he's a very clean quarterback prospect. And I think, you know, Joe Burrow might still be quarterback one this year if Tua didn't have the hip injury. But the rise of Burrow coincided with the medical issue with Tua has made it a much clearer case to make Joe Burrow quarterback one. But Tua is still a very good prospect. And uh, if teams are still satisfied from a medical standpoint, then he's coming off the board in the top five, maybe in the top three. So it's the medicals and the rechecks and all that stuff, that's going to be critical for him. But he's still a very clean quarterback prospect. And I think provided the medicals check out, a team's going to be happy to draft him, particularly if a team like, say, the Miami Dolphins has the ability to still sort of sit him for his rookie year, just sort of medically redshirt him. I think that's probably the way to go. Yeah, I would definitely agree, Mark. Um, I think, too, as well is in that tier one conversation with Joe Burrow. But now that we have those kind of two guys out of the way, um, what about the, the, the next crop of quarterbacks? You know, you got uh, Jordan Love in kind of that conversation, Justin Herbert, uh, maybe Jacob Eason, some of those other guys. How do you kind of see the tier two guys, you know, falling? And then also, do you see like a team like the Colts or um, the Raiders or a team like that training up to get one of those guys uh, like early in, in the top 10 area? Yeah, I mean, I think tier two is when the quarterback board sort of really starts to have some fun um, because you can see a number of people go in different directions. I think most people are pretty set with the tier one of those two guys. Tier two, I think, is where it gets a little bit sporty. You know, I would have Herbert, Love, Eason, and I could make a case for Fromm to get into tier two at the bottom of that tier two, which I could do in a second. But I, I think starting off with Eason, and I think should be with Herbert, you know, I, I think he had a very solid senior bowl week. I think people sort of got to see him expand his ability and expand what he can do outside of that Oregon offense, which is a bit of a difficult offense to study and evaluate. And so I think it's going to be a scenario where, depending on how the quarterback carousel sort of unfolds during free agency i'd be stunned if herbert unless the chargers go in a different direction i'd be stunned if herbert gets past la at six now then i think you've got love and easton who are two i don't want to say overly similar prospects but athletic raw talented big arms i think love probably comes off the board you know i look at in this draft and again a lot of it is dependent on that sort of quarterback free agency carousel but You've got that. You mentioned some of those teams, Devin. Vegas at 12, India at 13, Tampa Bay at 14. You know, there's a shot that both Love and Eason come off the board to a mix of those teams, whether it's a 12, 13, or 14, or some of them trading up. We know quarterbacks get overdrafted. We know how quarterbacks get pushed up boards. You know, if Gruden has decided that he's moving on from Carr and wants a guy and identifies whether it's a Love or an Eason, he might have to go up and get him, and they've got the weapon to do that. They've got the draft capital to do that. You know, if Arians decides he wants to move on from Winston, I don't know if they move up. Maybe they stay at 14. Maybe they feel like they have to get ahead of Indy, depending on how Indy addresses it. And then, look, there, there's Jake Fromm. And, you know, I'll say that he's probably not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, I know that there are going to be some that might think he has a pretty low ceiling. Um, but I think that there's going to be an NFL team that is going to fall in love with Jake Fromm. They're going to see somebody that 
you know, maybe doesn't flash at times. Maybe the arm isn't overpowering. You know, maybe the decision making, it can be sketchy on occasion, particularly when pressured. But they're going to look at the resume. They're going to look at some of the big games that he played in. Maybe wasn't, you know, didn't win all of them, but had some success in some big games. And for a team like, say, the Chicago Bears that... You know, maybe they've got some questions about Mitchell Trubisky. They're looking to perhaps get some competition in form. If they don't do it in free agency, you know, there's a name that could be linked to the Chicago Bears, and that's Jake Fromm. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the. It's funny enough that you mentioned the the Bucks. I just had a mock draft that was released on Blue Chip where uh, they passed on a quarterback at 14 just due to the board falling the way it did, and Mackay Becton still being there. And I mean, that team is paying Donovan Smith absurd amounts of money to be a turnstile. But at 31, Eason was still there and um, Jordan Love. So I had them trading back up to 31 because San Fran needs to trade back and get that fifth year option for Jacob Eason, who many I've seen have been picking him at 14. So I mean. I don't know if it's likely that he's going to be there at 31, but, I mean, like you said, I think Eason provides a lot of that same type of quarterbacking that uh, Bruce Arians likes. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you look at what Arians does conceptually, you know, the vertical game, no risk it, no biscuit, stuff like that. That's sort of Eason's calling card. And, you know, when you start thinking about what's going to happen, what's going to unfold at the combine, you know, I'm not a huge proponent of reading too much into the radar gun. You know, when Ball Velocity Day comes on Twitter, it's usually a nightmare on the timeline because everybody overreacts <laughs> to, you know, 49 miles per hour for Deshaun Watson is probably a perfect example of what happens when that day gets dropped on Twitter. But at the same time, there are offenses and there are schemes and there are coaches where velocity does factor into the equation. And I think for Eason, when he gets put on the gun, we're probably going to get a big number and that's probably going to be you know, very, very enticing for a Bruce Arians. And it's another thing to remember. One, this is why I love tiering quarterbacks. I think it's a great way to do it. It's a great exercise, guys. But remember, the teams are going to have different boards at the quarterback position because a lot of it will be scheme dependent. And you might ask a Bruce Arians and you might ask uh, Sean Payton. You might ask a Bill Belichick, you know, give me your quarterback boards when all is said and done. You're going to get three different boards because you're going to be looking for three different things. So while some might look at a, a Jacob Eason and say, I don't know if he's going to fit into what, say, the Patriots or the Saints want to do, that could be true. And he might be more of a day three or tier three guy for those teams. For, but for Arians, he might be even tier one because of how he structures his offense. Yeah, with, you know, so many different quarterback rankings and how quarterbacks rank the um, – well, teams rank these quarterbacks. Um, kind of give us a list of some of the guys that, you know, are not necessarily first or second round talents but could maybe come into a team's training camp, you know, a third, fourth round pick and – push a team, push the starting quarterback on that current team um, in training camp, like some of those day three, day four guys, um, you know, like, I guess you can kind of equate like some of the quarterbacks that have the talent, but aren't necessarily, I guess, seen as high as some of some of the other quarterback prospects. Yeah, Devin, it's a great question. And I sort of love the some of the names and some of the play styles we get as we get sort of into that day three range or that sort of priority UDFA range. I think, look, at, at the top of the next tier would probably be two guys, Jalen Hurts and Anthony Gordon. Um, Hurts, I, I think, 
is an intriguing prospect in the sense that he's coming around at a time when people are trying to force, say, a Lamar Jackson comparison to him, which I don't oh, think God. makes a ton of sense at all. They just see athletic quarterback and they think they're the same. They, they have different running styles. They have different throwing styles. They have different play styles. But at the same time, the success of a Lamar Jackson, the success of more mobile quarterbacks over the past couple of seasons has opened the door for a guy like Jalen Hurts. He's, again, got a different running style. He's more of a power runner. Um, I think he throws a better deep ball, but the mechanics can be a bit scattershot. But for a team like Bruce Arians, that is going to be that more vertical pass on offense, he could be an intriguing sort of late day two, early day three type of option. So more of a developmental type guy, but somebody I think has an NFL future. Anthony Gordon is fascinating to me. You know, in a similar vein, people are trying to say, oh, he's another Gardner Minshew. Again, two di- completely different quarterbacks. Minshew, much more fluid, much more balanced with his footwork in the pocket. Gordon is more statuesque. His feet are going to be fascinating to watch develop during this process. But he's somebody that has some arm talent to him. He's somebody that has a bit of aggression to his game. I like some of the reads and the throws that he makes, particularly when tacking underneath coverage. So he's somebody in that next tier. There's two other quarterbacks that, you know, didn't sort of get, you know, senior bowl invites. You know, they're sort of on the outside looking into sort of the pre-draft all-star circuit. But Nate Stanley from Iowa... I think is an intriguing quarterback to watch. He does a lot of that under center play action with his back to the defense, you know, quick process and speed type plays that we don't often see from quarterbacks in the college game, but you're going to get asked to do more of that in the NFL. And so he brings that to the table. And then Jake Lutton from Oregon state. I'm very intrigued by him. A very whippy, violet throw in motion with the upper body. But I've been very intrigued sort of studying him over the past couple of weeks. And I think, look, when you start thinking about, okay, we could draft somebody in the fourth round or draft somebody maybe in the sixth round and address another position, that's an, you know, a cost-benefit analysis teams will have to do. But I'm very intrigued by both of these guys, particularly Lutton. I think he could really turn some heads you know, out in Indianapolis during the combine. So it's funny you said Nate Stanley because uh, during the season, Devin and I were covering a lot of the Big Ten, so we got to watch a lot of Nate Stanley. And the, the tools are there. He's not exactly the most athletic quarterback, but, I mean, you, uh, teams should know that. The Michigan tape, just throw that out. That was some really right. garbage tape. That was just a garbage game in general. We had to watch that one live, and I felt like I aged 20 years watching it. The one that surprised me was Jake Lutton, because I watched him on Friday, and maybe I just watched the wrong games, but I did not like what I saw. I, I threw him in around that, like, Brian Lewerke, Shea Patterson tier, which is a, a tier or two below where you have him. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's again, look, you know, quarterback study... You know, people are going to have, like I said, people are going to have different boards. People are going to sort of have different, you know, landing spots and things like that where they think guys can sort of fit in. But when I watched Lutton, what I really sort of saw was a guy that has some rawness to his game, but that sort of velocity that can't be taught. And the more that I'm sort of studying quarterbacks and, you know, working through quarterbacks each and every single year, I've never really been a big arm strength guy. I've always thought it was more of like a threshold, not you know, something that's going to be the be-all and Mm end-all. But when you see some quarterbacks coming out that have that arm to fall back on, say a Josh Rosen, or Josh Allen, excuse me, for example, you can see how it can sort of help them work. It can help them sort of adjust to life in the National Football League. And another thing that stood out to me watching Jake Lutton, 
you know, watch this game against Arizona, for example, and you see examples of some timing and some rhythm throws where, you know, he's throwing guys open in a sense. He's getting the ball out on time in rhythm with a bit of anticipation. It was also on example on display in his game against UCLA. You're seeing him throw some strikes in the middle of the field where he's sort of replacing the blitz with the ball. He's reading the middle of the field and attacking the middle of the field, which you don't often see a lot of college quarterback prospects do. Those are some things that really sort of impressed me. And there was another route concept that they loved, the Beavers did, that sort of red zone double move. He threw that a ton, threw it extremely well. He can anticipate on that throw. I think there are some things that he does that are going to get people excited about him the more they sort of dig in around him, you know, whether it's during combine week or after. Yeah, I I, uh, I also took a look at, you know, Nate Stanley. You were just talking about him. Um, you know, I know at times his decision-making wasn't the best, but I definitely saw the arm talent that he has. Yeah. Uh, you can see the the ball placement he has on, on those deep throws. Uh, able to fit into tight windows. I think it was just more about consistency, um, right. uh, more of a consistency thing. I, I do like Nate Stanley. He, you know, it's a kind of a late round draft pick as well. He's definitely a project, but he he plays in you know a kind of a pro style offense, something that's conducive to the NFL. He's under center. He was under center a ton at Iowa. Um, do you see a team in particular that may fall in love with him or uh, his game? Yeah, I mean, I think a team that certainly comes to mind, and again, they have decisions to make about the quarterback spot, but that's New England. You know, when you look at what Nate Stanley has done, the kind of offense he's been in in Iowa, you look at the sort of the history and how, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, and Coach Ferenc, they've they've had sort of a kinship. You know, New England has tried to draft some Iowa players before in the past. You know, I think that's the kind of offense that would make some sense for Nate Stanley, sort of a, a timing and rhythm-based offense, doing some play stuff off of play action, deep drops off of play action. We see a lot of that in what the Patriots run. Now, look, they've got questions with Tom Brady. Yes, they drafted Jared Stidham last year, who the Oakland is high on, but I think Stanley makes some sense. And another thing to mention with Stanley, and there are moments when it does sort of look like he's staring down reads and bird dog and throws, but I, what I saw in him, and others may disagree, was it often seemed to me like he was almost too fast through his reads. Like he would check, say he'd open to the left side to check an Ohio concept before coming to say levels or flood or something or sail on the right, and he'd come off that left side read immediately just foreclose it out of his mind because he knew it wasn't going to be there. And then he just, it seems like he's staring down the sail route or whatever he's going to throw the rail route to the right when he's just that fast through his reads. And so uh, it can sort of give you the impression that he's staring things down, but I think it's also evidence of he's getting through reads quickly, which is something you do want to see from your quarterback. But I think New England would be a good fit for him. All right, definitely. Uh, I agree with Everything you just said. So now we've gone through, what have we gone through? Eight, nine different quarterbacks? So we'd be in tier four. So like for me, I've got that kind of next tier starting at like the 10th the guy. I've got Anthony Gordon, Tyler Huntley, James Morgan, Stephen Montez, and Cole McDonald in that in that tier. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, McDonald's interesting. He was sort of a draft Twitter darling in a sense in the Definitely. summer. Definitely. But then really sort of had a disastrous start to the season. He is a roller coaster. You know, he's somebody that could come out of Indy and maybe sneak into that next tier, but I think he's probably top of tier four. Huntley's a fascinating, fascinating prospect. Um, extremely efficient college quarterback. I've got him in this group as well. You know, I think there are some things that he does 
from just a pure passing standpoint that he's not getting enough credit for. You see him make some reset throws where he has to reset his feet under pressure, can throw well on the move, very accurate passer, and of course the efficiency numbers back that up. I'm surprised he's not getting to Indianapolis for the combine. I really am. I thought he'd be a combine lock, but he's somebody that I think you know teams will get excited about. You know, th- there's a couple of other Montez is interesting. He's you know, Devin talked about sort of inconsistency with, with Nate Stanley. I think that's another quarterback in Montez that could you put that name next, that tag next to, because there are times when it seems like it totally clicks for him, and there are times when it doesn't, and that might be on back-to-back plays, that might be on back-to-back drives, where on one drive you see him make a great reading and on, on the smash concept, and then the next drive it's like, it's the same exact play. It's the same exact coverage. Like, what, what are we doing here? And so We saw that down at the Senior Bowl, we too. We saw that down at like... the Senior Bowl as well, Mike, where it's just like what do, he needs to be able to put it together and be a consistent quarterback. But I think he's an, a nice guy and sort of in this tier. You know, um, James Morgan from Florida International, he's a guy that I'm sort of struggling to tier right now because there are times when – Again, it's a lack of consistency where you can see that this guy has a cannon. That this guy has an absolute rocket for an arm. And there are other times when the decision-making is just he gets pressured and he's just going to throw it up for grabs. And so I, I think a team, depending on the system, might sort of have him in this bucket. Other teams might not. You know, another name I'll sort of mention in this tier, I think, Kelly Bryant from Missouri, formerly Ooh. of Clemson. You know, he's – Completion percentage isn't the be-all and end-all, and he's got good completion percentage numbers, but I see you know, real inconsistency, inconsistency when it comes to the ball placement. Sometimes it's where it needs to be. Sometimes it's nowhere close. I see some inconsistency with his mechanics. Sometimes the feet aren't set. Sometimes the release point is off. Sometimes he doesn't involve the left shoulder and the left hip as much as he should. Sometimes he over-involves them. So there's a lot of inconsistency structurally with him. But I also see competitive toughness. I also see sort of that willingness to sort of lead people around him. You know, not that it really counts for much, but when his former Clemson teammates went to the Missouri spring game to see him and to support him, you know that he's somebody that's going to like be that locker room presence. You get the sense that he was a leader at Missouri as well. So you see that competitive toughness and stuff like that. I'm getting the same sort of sense that I had when I watched Dak Prescott. Now, I was way low on Prescott. He was like quarterback 17 for me. And I thought that the ball placement was bad and he was going to struggle in that area. But I missed the sort of competitive toughness aspect to him that enabled him to get drafted where he did, but sort of rise above the spot where he's drafted and improve himself. Bryant has that potential. I'm not saying he's Dak Prescott. I'm not saying he's the next Dak Prescott. But I do get some sort of similar vibes when I watch him. And so he's somebody that I wouldn't surprise me. We get out of Indy and people start saying, yeah, he had a pretty good week. He helped himself. He met with teams and things like that. And we get some sort of, you know, day three type buzz for him. Somebody that, you know, was it a, a senior bowl invitation or something like that. But I, I, I would just keep him in mind. Definitely. And, you know, you did say Dak Prescott. Thank God you didn't tweet that because um, no. See, yeah. my, uh, I, I've learned. You know, I'm old. <laughs> I'm 43. Okay, I, I can tell you that when it comes to the takes, you put them in the pods and you put them in articles. Okay, because because you put the tweet. Uh, if I tweeted out right now, Kelly Bryant equals Dak Prescott. My timeline is a nightmare from now <laughs> until draft day. It's just it's just nuclear. But I can say it on a pod. I can put it in an article. I'll put it in an article this week, and you might get a couple of people to point it out. But yeah, pe- people are just here for the takes, and so you take the spiciest ones. Unless you want your timeline to be a nightmare, 
and you put them in a pod or an article. Yeah, you hide them. You, you hide them, but you get it out there. Because let's be <laughs> honest, okay? If this time next year we're talking about Kelly Bryant as like offensive rookie of the year and some cr- crazy scenario where the Niners draft him and Garoppolo gets hurt again and suddenly he's like leading them to a 13 and 3, 12 and 4 season, you better believe I'm digging up this podcast. He's going to clip the it, audio tweet it out. and tweeted it out because I say, look, it was there. But if he never gets drafted, well, you know, people will have listened to the show, but they'll all move on. So, yeah, you don't tweet the spicy ones. You put them in a pod or an article. That's that's my life lesson for everybody. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, if we learn yeah, uh, nothing else today, then that's the one right. takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, Mark. Uh, so I, I wrote an article uh, probably yesterday, and I was talking about you know evaluating the combine and how to kind of approach it. And kind of my thinking was that you know teams like when you're evaluating a prospect, I know that the combine you know matters in some aspect, but you know, one of my things was like trust the tape and the traits. Yeah. Um, what should people kind of keep in mind when they're watching these quarterbacks at the combine? Like some things to keep in mind, you know, some things to put in perspective, uh, you know, having doing this for, you know, a number of years. Yeah, I mean, Devin, I think you're exactly right. Like, you know, the best thing to keep in mind with the combine, regardless of position, is take the new information you get. And then go back to the film to either reconfirm your prior thoughts or maybe adjust. Like I was doing a show, Matt Waldman and I do a show every other week or so, and we were talking about this exact point. And he was talking about evaluating the running back position, for example. And it's like, you know, he'll have some pre-combined thoughts on somebody, but then if they go out and they suddenly run a 4-4 and they show some explosiveness and some burst, he's going to go back to the film and say, okay, well, I didn't think he had it. Was I missing something or are my eyes still leading me in the right direction. And so you, you take whatever data points, regardless of position you get over the next week or so, two weeks, you know, based on the combine and you go back to the film and you allow it to sort of refine your vision, refine your thinking specifically when it comes to quarterbacks. Remember a lot of these guys are going to be thrown to guys they've never thrown to before. A lot of these guys have spent the past couple of months with the Jordan Palmers and the Tony Rakopis of the world cleaning up their mechanics so, for example, I'm always, I always do a piece, the most important places in Indy for each of these quarterbacks, all 17 of these guys. I'm working on that piece right now. And, for example, a guy like Kevin Davidson, the, the Princeton quarterback, you know, I'm going to be watching his hands, specifically the ball carriage, as he's working through these throws. Because one of the things that stood out to me watching him, he has low ball carriage, and it sometimes leads to a lower release point than usual. You watch his game against Dartmouth, three passes that didn't get past the line of scrimmage, one of which was a pick six. And so I want to see if he starts to clean that up. Another guy, Anthony Gordon, we we mentioned him earlier. He's got that sort of air raid, Mike Leach, lack of footwork in the pocket. How do his feet look? And so while people are probably going to say the Burrow went 61 of 64 during his throwing session, and they're going to talk about the completion percentage, I don't get caught up in that. I want to see how they've started to refine their mechanics, how they've started to sort of refine their throwing motion, clean up some of the bad habits that developed. Because let's face it, college coaches don't care if your mechanics are bad, you know, as long as you can still win games. And usually mechanics, in my mind, don't matter until they do. For some of these quarterbacks, they do matter because it's impacting their performance on the field. So I want to see how they clean that stuff up. And I also, look, the biggest stuff that happens in Indy, we're not going to get to see. That's, you know, when 
Jalen Hurts walks into a hotel suite and sits down with an ownership group and a front office and a coaching staff and talks about his time. When Jake Fromm gets on a whiteboard with the Doug Petersons of the wor- world and starts breaking down how they ran spot, how they ran smash, how they ran four verticals, you know, and the different reads and checks that they had. That's where the bulk of the work is done. And so the workouts for the quarterbacks, you want to see some of the, you know, refining around the edges with their mechanics and things like that. You want to see how the ball comes out of their hand. You want to see, you know, if they can sort of make, you know, good throws when they're forced to move and things like that. But the bulk of the stuff happens behind closed doors. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the uh, mechanics don't matter until they do. Uh, The perfect example that one of my go-to ones was the 2015 class, Brandon Bridge. Yeah. The South Alabama kid. I mean, that was one of my guys. And I'm like, you, you, like I wish I had a podcast that I could bury those, those comparisons in. Because right. I mean, 2015, I was comparing him to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. And th- the traits were there, but the mechanics weren't. And it never panned out for him. He never got a shot in the NFL. And he's barely yeah. gotten a chance up here in Canada in the CFL. So, yeah. you know, and he I, just I think never look- was able to fix it. In, in the other direction, Patrick Mahomes obviously is, you know, a rare type example, but that's when I first started saying that because I remember Waldman and I did a show together. We did a film run on him and during his draft process, there were a lot of people that said, look, his feet are a mess. His throw in motion is a mess. It's never going to work in the NFL. But when I watched him on film, it was like, look, that's all true, but the ball is still getting where it needs to be when it needs to be there. And so as long as that stays the same, the mechanics don't matter. It's when, like, for example, a couple of years later with Sam Darnold, when you see that dip and loop to his motion, you did see that there were times that the ball wasn't getting where it needed to be, what it needed to be there because of that dip. That's when they do matter. And so for a guy like I, I use Kevin Davidson out of this class, he's got that low ball carriage, and it takes him a little bit to get that ball up to where he starts his throw in motion. There are times when the ball comes out later than it needs to be. He had a pick against Dartmouth in that game as well on a hitch route where it was there, but it, the ball comes out later as a result of the low ball carriage. Conversely, James Morgan also has low ball carriage, but the ball snaps out of his hands quicker. And so I'm going to be interested to see that play out out at Indy. All right. So I think we've gone through probably about 12 or 13. And then uh, my last tier of guys before we can before, you know, Mark starts listing off guys that sound like Madden generated players. Uh, we I got Bryce Perkins, Shea Patterson, Brian Lewerke, and you mentioned him already with Jake Lutton. But I think I probably just watched the wrong games with him. Right. And look, I, I think, look, you know, I'm, I'm never of the mind to try to convince somebody that I'm right, you know, or For that sure. they're wrong. I mean, look, th- this is all sort of subjective. We get maybe 30 percent of the information the NFL teams have. And so, you know, if somebody out there is listening, they agree, Mike, with you on Jake Lutton, like, OK, I mean, that that's fine. Um, no, you know, no we all have to say the exact same thing. <laughs> No, no, I mean, that's right. Everybody has to have the same take. We can't be individuals at all. Um, you know, Lewerke's interested. He was another guy that I remember, you know, two summers ago, people were buying in on him. And I could understand it from a, an athletic standpoint. Um, certainly had the legs and the feet to throw on the move and create outside of the pocket. But I thought he sort of relied on that too much. And I was concerned about his sort of ability to just hand in the pocket and make throws. And there were things that he got away with in the college game that I don't think he's going to be able to get away with in the NFL. And so, you know, I think he's still sort of that prospect. 
you know, it's unfortunate because he did get a lot of hype, but it has sort of fallen off a bit. Perkins is another interesting kid, you know, very athletic, can throw well on the move, um, got a decent enough arm that I think will work in the National Football League. Another kid I'm surprised didn't get an invite to Indianapolis, but, you know, I think he's certainly somebody when you've seen guys like Trace McSorley and others sort of get that roster spot and make a team. And when you consider the athletic quarterbacks that are in the league right now, Let's not forget, you need a guy that can do that for you, that can replicate that for you in practice. And so he's going to have an opportunity to stick on a team as a, because of that and develop from there. So he's in, I think, a, a good spot. Shea Patterson, you know, very another inconsistent quarterback. There are times when you can see him ripping and it's like, this will work in the NFL. There are times when it won't work. Um, so I want to see some consistency from him, particularly with his ball placement. But, yeah, I mean, that's sort of that next tier of QBs. Yeah, Brian Lewerke was definitely uh, an interesting kind of prospect to watch. Uh, there was times where he looked really good on time in rhythm throws. Uh, the perfect example I think of back to is the Ohio State game. Um, the, the first half, he, he was in rhythm. I mean, there was just one throw that he missed. Uh, I think it was like a shallow route to Cody White that could have been a touchdown, could have kept Michigan State in that game. But he just wasn't able to hit it, and then we saw kind of what happened afterwards. But there, there were so many other games that he just didn't look great. Um, you think he's kind of an undrafted free agent type of guy, or you think a team takes a chance on him? I mean, I could see him sneaking into the draft. I, I could see a team sort of taking a, a shot on him. You know, and again, it's one of those scenarios where, you know, if he goes into these, you know, hotel suites and meeting rooms and just basically says, you know, look, you know, I struggled. I know I struggled. Like, there are things that I need to work on. Like, uh, it just takes one team to sort of fall in love with a guy. I think he's more probably that undrafted guy. Um, but look, We've seen quarterbacks get picked before that we didn't think were going to get drafted, um, whether it's, you know, the Easton Sticks or the, the Clayton Thorsons or whomever. You know, it, it happens. And so would it surprise me if he's drafted? No, not at all. All right. So we've gone through, I think, probably about 15, 16 guys. Are there any other guys that you think that uh, our listeners should have their eye on? Um, other guys that got invited in that we didn't mention about or kind of those combined snubs, those surprising guys? Anyone else you've, that's got in your eye? You know, there's two quarterbacks that I'll mention. One that, you know, was down there at the Shrine game. That's Mason Fine. Look, he's small. Look, 5'9". I think that's what he measured in at, or 5'9 in that range, down at the East-West Shrine game. But the kick and slint it. Um, you know, got some kind of some toughness to him, both in the pocket and sort of that competitive toughness as well. You know, I don't think he gets drafted, but I certainly, you know, when we get that flurry of undrafted free agent signees, like once the draft ends that Saturday, it wouldn't surprise me to see him come off the first or one of the first quarterbacks. And there's another FCS kid, Case Cook is from Northern Arizona. He's got good size, like 6'5", 230 or so. He's got a pretty big arm. He's had an injury history, but, you know, 60% or so completion percentage last year, over 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. I've studied a lot of this kid from his couple of years ago. I watched a playoff game of his against like San Diego. Um, he's got some talent to him. I know there are some people in and around the community that like him. So he's another name that I think if we get into that late Saturday, late rounds, or in that flurry of free agents, that's going to be a name you're going to hear as well. All right. Then just a couple of guys that, I, that I've seen mentioned a lot. I've seen uh, Joe Flacco's brother. I think it's Tom yep, Flacco. Tom Flacco, uh, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I've heard he's a lot more more agile and, and mobile than Joe was. He, I haven't really read anything about him, seen anything on him. Have you watched him yep. at all? Yeah, I've watched him a bit. Um, like you said, more athletic, more fluid. He's not the statuesque pocket passer that his brother was. Um, he's also working with Tony Rocopi as his Nate Stanley um, for some combine and well, obviously not combine, but draft prep. Um, you can see what they're working on to clean up from him. No, there was a, a thought that he might be a position switch candidate, maybe defensive back, perhaps. Um, because of his athleticism, but I think that athleticism is going to be something that's going to get him into a camp at least. Probably doesn't hear his name called, but I think he's going to be one of those you know UDFA types that gets onto a, a training camp roster, that gets into a mini camp, and who knows? We, we've seen guys sort of have that positional flexibility. We're talking about Taysom Hill apparently being the next great thing in the National Football League. While I don't agree with that, I think that might be something that could get a guy like Flacco on a roster come you know cutdown day. All right, and then two more guys uh, for very different reasons. One is Blake Barnett, because I swear he's the only player in the draft that's older than uh, than Devin and I. And, um, well, for me, because I'm Canadian, Nathan Rourke from Ohio. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys have some things that they bring to the table. Rourke um, has some of the arm talent that you like to see. Barnett's got some of the experience, obviously. That's one way you can spin that for him. Um, <laughs> obviously played in some different systems. Um, but he's somebody that, look, you know, he's got the ability to run what we consider to be a pro-style offense. And so, you know, you might see a, a team sort of either take that flyer on him or an undrafted free agent spot. I think it's more likely the UDFA route for both of these guys. I know there are people that like O'Rourke a lot. I know there are people that look at him and look at some of these other quarterbacks we've talked about and said, look, he's right up with these, with these guys. I don't see that. You know, I think he's a tier or two below the guys that we've talked about. But I do see some things to his game that NFL evaluators like. And I think that there will be a team that gives him a home come UDFA time, and he'll certainly get some, you know, some run in the preseason. And if he develops and he works on what he needs to work on, some of the consistency things and the ball placement things, then yeah, he could stick on a, on a practice squad next year. All right. Well, we're going to let you out on here now. Uh, thank you for joining us, um, Mark. Great having you on. Look forward to having you on again in the future. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, definitely, guys. definitely appreciate it, man. Uh, oh. Great, great insight. Uh, love talking quarterbacks. Uh, definitely gonna have to have you come back on, talk more positions, more players, especially uh, you know after a combine leading up to the draft. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Anytime, guys. Um, keep crushing it. Keep doing the great work you're doing, and have everybody come back and talk QBs or any other position anytime you need me. All right. So for Mark Schofield and Dev Jackson, I'm your host, Mike Ernishan, signing off. We'll see you guys next week.